Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land on which the House of Sin and Studio stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. This is the OST podcast, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Catch us live from 7pm every Tuesday on Sin Nation. Welcome to OST Original Soundtrack here on Sin Nation with Erin and Paul. We are a music show diving deep into the music behind some of our favourite movies, TV shows and games. How are you, Paul? I'm, I'm really good. I'm uh, feeling spooky post-Halloween, even though Halloween was just last week. And we literally had a show that was on the, the 30th yeah, and of we October. Kind of, we kind of cooked that one. The but... day before Halloween. We didn't do a Halloween episode, so now we're yeah. here <laughs> a week later, um, completely belated, but we are giving you Halloween stuff. This is a post-Halloween episode. We'll be talking about the sounds of thrillers and killers, ghosts and ghouls. It's a horror special, y'all. It absolutely is. It's horror Halloween all year round here. Literally. Is it? Yeah. Yes, okay, pretty sure. much. Um, to get as horrific as possible, we brought in a special horror expert who's actually made soundtracks before. His film, Buffdom, puts us all to shame. It's Jacob. Hey, Jacob. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. Glad to be here. That's just really to, exciting. Like, sorry. Just to go off like the whole Halloween thing, I feel like Halloween like ended up happening on a Wednesday and now it's like permeated to like all the weeks. It has. There's Halloween parties on right now. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's so... Um, People just love to get around an excuse to have parties and dress up. Definitely. Um, I mean, I saw some really questionable Halloween costumes <laughs> on Facebook during the week, oh, no. which is always unfortunate. But, I mean, <laughs> it's probably one of my top three seasonal holidays that I enjoy throughout the year, would have to say. <laughs> what are the other two? Um, Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... No, I can't think of another one. Sorry, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> Hanukkah wins. Yeah, Hanukkah Hands wins, down. absolutely. So yeah, um, as, we, as we said before, we're going to be talking all about horror movie soundtracks. Now, um, I guess out of Amongst Us, you two are probably more buffy when it comes to horror shows and horror movies. I feel like I'm more trashy, and then, Jacob, you're like a lot more versed in it than, than I would be. I like good <laughs> trashy horrors. Like, that's my thing. Look, I love a good trashy horror. I feel like I like watch so many of them, though, that I've just been like, I, I, I can't. I yeah. can't do it anymore. I want to, like, look look up the high, the high top-tier party stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're all trash at the end of the day. I mean... That's true. But horror films are trashy. That's kind of how it has to be. That's true. It's mm. true. Um, we talked about it a little bit before we started on the show, but what is your like threshold for, for horror? Because some people can't handle it at all and others yeah. have kind of different tastes. So what's your threshold? <laughs> yeah, you. I've been I've been in like a, a really kind of weird a weird stance on horror for like a long time in terms of like my threshold. Um and I just think I always just I've just recently drawn the line at Lars von Trier, uh, mm. just his new film, The House That Jack Built, just because it's like, I mean, it's twelve years in the life of a serial killer, starring Matt Dillon, which actually seems pretty interesting. But I was like, no, it just seems way too full on, and and that's it. Everything else, I'm pretty pretty good with. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good mm. sign. Yeah, Paul's <laughs> quaking in the corner. Um, we might actually talk to you a bit about your film at the end of the show oh, okay, as, cool. as our like kind of closing segue, because it would be really cool to hear about what you've got in store cool. um, for, for people who might be interested in that. But I think we will jump straight into our first film, um, which is a modern block buster from Bloomhouse Productions, which is like every Literally contemporary Literally every horror modern film. horror blockbuster is a Blumhouse. Yeah, uh, Get Out. 
was a yeah, Blumhouse. Yeah, it was, was it? I forgot. Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like whatever Blumhouse, uh, his, well, his name's Bloom, can get yeah, his Bloom, hands yeah. on is literally just a modern horror film. Yeah. But the first one we're going to look at here is Insidious. So, Insidious, released in 2010, for those who are not familiar, starred Patrick Wilson, who is, like, in every <laughs> modern I'm trying to picture film. Patrick Wilson. He's in, um, so he's in The Conjuring, but he's the, he's the priest. Oh, okay. He's the priest who, yeah. who's the wife to the, the lady who does the exorcisms and stuff. Right. He's in, like, every Blumhouse. He's, like, uh, okay. the main oh, male protagonist. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know him, you know him. Rings a bell. <laughs> yeah. Rose Byrne, um, who I think is the... the the exorcist lady like not from the exorcist but like in in the conjuring like i think there are a couple in this movie but also a couple in the conjuring Was Rose Byrne in the conjuring i think so i'm going to have to look that up but i'm you, i will yeah, confirm yeah i will confirm and um barbara hershey and it features music composed by joseph bishara um who also composed music for the conjuring would it's you all believe a family. it it's like a horror family <laughs> it's a big horror family yeah so for those who haven't seen insidious just a quick plot synopsis a couple's son enters a comatose state and becomes a vessel for ghosts in an astral dimension oh i'm spooked already. this is my wow. shit <laughs> like, this is this is what i get down to i love it i love it um why did we choose this film to look at well i mean in terms of uh, horror movies i'm not very good when it comes to the paranormal um i, I do love horror movies it's kind of like a love-hate relationship because um, i'll watch it and i'll be like oh whatever it's just a movie and then i'll get to bed and it'll be like 11 at night and it'll be dark and i'll be <laughs> like oh what if the ghost is real what if the ghost is in the room right now and then i wouldn't be able to get to sleep so yeah in terms of movies like this i actually haven't seen insidious before Okay. But he made me watch The Conjuring. I did, didn't I? I'm so sorry. <laughs> and that was, yeah, that was something. I mean, The Conjuring was like a comedy to me. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I thought enough. it was quite funny. But I, I guess my roots in horror are, are that psychological, the paranormal stuff. I love ghosts and I love spirits and I love all that kind of thing. And I think this film really came out at a time when the popularity of paranormal themes was really having a resurgence mm. in cinema. Like, I mean, you've obviously, you look back historically, you've got The Exorcist, which is kind of maybe the big boom in that kind of genre um and then you had like this new wave with i guess paranormal activity you have to give some credit to kicking off that kind of momentum um as horrible as it is so that's my niche paranormal activity love a good paranormal activity what's your favorite paranormal activity Um, my favorite is probably um i think the third one and I don't remember, like, <laughs> Is that why? the, like, early period one where it's, so like, it goes, the So it goes, it traces backwards. No, so, um, oh, actually, it might be, yeah. Yeah, it is, sorry. So, like, it traces <laughs> oh, wow. backwards. It traces backwards. So the first one is, like, modern day. The second one is, like, um, like maybe a decade earlier. And then the next one is, like, 20 years prior. Okay. And it's just, tra- like, tracing the family lineage. But I just have the vivid memory of a scene in the third one. And I went and saw it in the, I've seen them all in the cinema, actually, but the third one... Um, the, like the ghost picks up the girl by the hair and just like swings her around Ooh. and I just remember like cackling in the cinema at how funny it was and just everyone was like in hysterics oh. so I mean that being said I'm clearly showing like I'm exposing myself as someone who enjoys comedy like spirits and stuff like I take yeah. it for granted I think if like there was something that was actually terrifying that I couldn't sleep like I probably would be a different person like it'd be a different story as to whether I enjoyed it or not but I think an interesting thing to talk about with this film is that James Wan directed Insidious, The Conjuring, and Saw. What? Yeah, he did. Go James. Which, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I guess Insidious is a blockbuster. Um, Saw, which I, I guess, like a self, um, 
self-named expert in the series, mm. um, is such a budget movie. Mm. Um, yeah. If you've ever seen Saw, it's just... As the movies progressed, they got more and more higher budget and then they had w- all these amazing effects. But with the first one, it's so low budget. Just, you know, Insidious was the next movie he did after Saw, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. just to jump yeah. from filming two guys in a basement to Insidious is insane. But I think they still have a common thread, and, I mean, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is kind of the sound. They all all those films really rely heavily on, heavily on sound and score. And I mean, with Insidious, like the reason I think the franchise is so popular is because of that iconic score that it, like just goes with its namesake, like that Insidious um, intro theme that just yeah. kind of crawls up your skin. Like the really kind of high pitched string stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. terrifying. And you can either get it right or wrong. I think like we were talking about how a lot of modern horror films are just kind of like silence and then you get the drone like occasionally. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And, and I think well, Insidious kind of gets it right in my opinion. Yeah, it's like a whole psychological thing. You just like hear it, mm. like subconsciously. It's it not even really like quiet. yeah. yeah. Mm. Th- that's how they get you, and then <laughs> they drop it off, and then they go boom, big jump scare. Mm. Well, I think something else that I really love about the soundtrack for Insidious is um, the track listing. It's incredibly on the nose. Um, that's always a fun thing, reading a soundtrack. And yeah, it, it yeah. just like outlines the movie in the soundtrack listing. Yeah, yeah well, some of the tracks on, on the soundtrack are titled Bring Him Back, Leave This Vessel, and Into the Further. Like, <laughs> if you want to know what the film's about, you can know like, just by looking at the soundtrack that it's about demonic possession and astral yeah, projection. Totally. Like, it's really clear. <laughs> you know straight away. Um, that being said, I think there is this kind of thematic consistency across the whole film which comes across in those like in the sound I mean all of the music composed to go with the film is really consistent there's nothing that's kind of like jarring in any way which I think is really important for a horror film because there's a lot that kind of take you you know you're watching a rom-com and then now you're watching someone getting like beaten to death or like (laughs) you know it can be really Jarring? Jarring, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure where I'm going with that idea. But <laughs> it's an idea, regardless. Um, yeah, and it, it, I guess it just ties into that kind of the haunted vibes that we see across a lot of modern horror films. Like, oh, it's, it's such a like modern horror thing. It's just like mm. the haunted doll, the haunted board game <laughs> with Ouija. It's but just... I think that came from like these movies. Like, oh, The Conjuring was probably. One of the big ones. That, well, Insidious was before it, so that kind of kicked it off in in a mainstream blockbuster yeah. sense. But it was obviously happening elsewhere. Um, but I think, yeah, it's the sound is just scattered really tastefully throughout, in my opinion, and um, really adds to it. And I think that's kind of key with a, with a horror soundtrack because there's a lot out there that are just like there for the sake of it, mm. um, and they don't really add anything to the narrative in any way. Yeah, I think we we talked in earlier episodes about like the use of music that should not be in a scene, being in a scene to create a new sense of mm. kind of feeling and mood. I think that comes through with Tiptoe Through the Tulips Absolutely, in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 can, I can actually, I haven't seen this movie, but I can tell how in a scene this song can actually become quite terrifying um, in a new context, I guess that's how it's used in Insidious. Yeah, absolutely. So the the kind of it's a motif that whenever that song plays, it's a motif for kind of demonic possession occurring in yeah. the house. So the gramophone starts playing and tiptoe through the tulip starts playing, oh, wow. um, and it just kind of escalates throughout the film as well. So like it gets more intense as the demon gets closer to the son's, I guess, body and it's closer to possessing his body. Um, so yeah, it's really used as a kind of ironic juxtaposing motif that I really love um, and if you see the like the video of, of Tiny Tim like he's just a scary man in general like he's, he's just a bit creepy like it's, it's not it's not very pleasant I will say 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think we might play Tiptoe Through the Tulips for you right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm probably going to, like, get freaked out even from just this song. <laughs> so, I guess that's, like, the perspective for what this episode's going to be like. I'll hold your hand during the break, Paul. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. We're going to play Tiptoe Through the Tulips. This is OST here with Aaron, Paul and Jacob on Sin Nation. Hey, Aaron, does it sound uh, kind of quiet to you here? Now that you mention it, yeah. It's a little bit. That's due to media law and some copyright laws, so we couldn't contain music in our podcasts. If you want to hear some of the tunes that we've been playing on our show, you can head to our Spotify playlists. You can find them on our Facebook page, at OST Sin. Cool. You're welcome. Thank you. We were just listening to Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim. I'm freaked out, guys, already. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already, I've already got the wheelies. You're sweating over there, my friend. Sweating. <laughs> Scary. It's an evil tune right there. Yeah, it's a cursed tune. Yeah, very cursed Honestly. tune. Very cursed tune. Tiny we're going to be Tim. looking at a lot of cursed things tonight, <laughs> given that we are looking at Halloween specials. And speaking of Halloween, seems to be the big one on everyone's mind mm. at the moment. Halloween. We're literally just going to talk about Halloween. Yeah, the movie. absolutely. Paul, well, would you like to take this one away? <laughs> well, yeah. So this was released in 1978, I guess a big time for slashes and horror. It stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance. It features original music by its own director, John Carpenter. And the plot goes like this. Aaron <laughs> wrote this. This is so unfair. Uh. Mike Myers plays an ogre and wants his swamp back. I think that's the that's wrong movie. technically the, the plot. I think it's <laughs> really similar in a way, if you think about it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I guess this is one of the first slasher films, uh, and it kind of spawned a whole franchise, which John Carpenter wrote, directed, and composed. Um, Jacob, you went and saw, like, all of these movies? Yeah, I, I saw... I went So, basically, like, the Astor Theatre um, in, like, St Kilda, like, screened pretty much all the original franchise, um, like, because it was oh, the 40th okay. anniversary of Halloween this year. Um, yeah, so they started at seven and they went to eight in the morning and then I, I got to quarter of the way through number six, which is actually Paul Rudd's first film. <gasps> Weirdly oh, enough. Oh yeah, no, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, and I was like, it was like 5.30 and like, I was just like, no, I've like, I've stayed up this long that like, I, I kind of just want to go home. You can pat yourself on the back. Yeah. You know, you've you've done well. Yeah. yeah. Is that like the return of Michael Myers? I th I, it, yeah, I, th I think mm. it could be. It was really weird. There's like a cult involved. It, okay. It, it was all just too much. Why, I was like, I... why is like the later or like one of the last films in every horror franchise like involving a cult? Involving a cult or like something to do with like hell? Or, it's like... totally just like I, I give yeah. up kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, because well, yeah, they're in the writer's room and they're like, oh, what did Nightmare on Elm Street do? Oh, I should just do that. Literally, yeah. it's like, yeah. how can we just make them like more money? I think that's the only reason why there was so many Halloween films because yeah. it was meant to like it was meant to be uh, after number three like this whole anthology series which would like have a new Halloween film 
on every Halloween, but it would be like a whole new story with new characters and everything like that. And that was like John Carpenter's vision, mm. but it made no money when it was released number oh, that, three. That's and just John Carpenter's story. Like, well, he's wild, his whole yeah. story, yeah. Because he he also made The Thing as well, which yes. is now like a really big cult classic body mm. horror film that's yeah. also been remade again and like tens of ruined. thousands of yeah yeah. <laughs> which was um, a remake actually. The Thing's a remake of, of a remake. Of a remake. Yeah, which might even be a remake of another remake. Isn't that know. incredible to think about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that I mean, like that released the same week as ET, so you can't really. Oh, it was yeah. two depictions of aliens. Wow. One was a cute alien, and one was an alien <laughs> that transformed dogs into like. Brutal, yeah, like murders. So I mean, what are you going to pick over the other two? Um, (laughs) But that's just like John Carpenter's story. It's just, and it's still so interesting how he's come back for Halloween this year, like as another remake. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's finally become like a cash cow. It Mm. it did, yeah. It was it was one of the first, like as you were mentioning before, it was one of the first cash cows of kind of the horror genre. I mean, this spawned so many sequels, and yeah, just like off of the success of this first one alone, I mean, we wouldn't have had A Nightmare on Elm Street. We wouldn't have had, like, Friday the 13th. We wouldn't have even had slasher films the way they're probably told now. I mean, there were ones, like, way before Halloween. Like, you have, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out just before, mm-hmm. and one way before that called Black Christmas, oh, which yeah. is actually probably, like, I think the very first kind of slasher film. Okay. Um, yeah, really good, by the way. Yeah. Definitely worth yeah, checking yeah, out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how it all kind of came to be. I don't even think, like, Carpenter thought it would get anyway. It was just like, well, let's try it out. Mm. Um, Which is, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a pretty, like, great way to make a movie. Just like, oh, whatever. I mean, yeah, pretty I much. kind of ad- admire that in a way. It's not like, oh, let's just make shit tons of money. Let's mm. just, like, try out this concept and see how it goes. And I, like, I think it stood the test of time, really, if you think about the impact. It's pre- it's yeah, had. it's probably, like, his most, like, well-known film. But I think... Out of all the films he's kind of done, it's it's probably like the most unique out of the whole kind of John Carpenter repertoire. I mean, it's so I, oh, I was gonna say relaxed. It's not relaxed, but it's so much like quieter and like tension building than the whole like a lot of his other films, which is more like overblown and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it can be get kind of kitschy at times. Just Halloween just simmers under the surface, and like the best the best part about it is the score. Like it would not be the same way about the score. And what's beautiful about that score is like the simplicity of it. Like anyone can listen to it and know where it's from, and it just is music that I think is the raw emotion. Instead of like he's done other ones where it's been like full band affairs and stuff like that, and it's loud and it's cool, but it's so kind of quiet mm. and just menacing. I think the whole menace mm. to Halloween and the tension building stuff. Menacing. Just awesome. I like that word to describe what a slasher should be as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should, you should kind of have you in fear of, oh, okay, someone's like going to walk in my back door right yeah. now and yeah, come totally. for me kind of feeling. What I what I like about the soundtrack too, it's kind of like uh, I with the when the piano score, it there's I guess there's a term in piano playing where when you play a piano note really quickly, it's called a piano stab. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it really interesting that this soundtrack has lots of piano stabs in it. Yes. And it's a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the main theme is just piano stabs mm-hmm. over and over again. And I find that that's literally what the movie is. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, stabs it's over and over again. Very it's clever. actually... Very clever. I don't know. John Carpenter, if you did that on purpose... Probably I found you out. Sure. <laughs> he surely would have. I mean, the only reason why he chose to use synthesizers was basically because he was like, I can get a piano sound, but just louder. Yeah. Like, didn't yeah. even really care about synthesizers. Like, he's been, he's, he's known for it now. Um, but yeah, apparently when he first started, it was just kind of like, ah, oh, well, it's just kind of a, a way that I can get the most sounds out of one instrument. 
Um, I love the use of a synthesizer, yeah. though, in, in horror, because I feel like it's the most versatile of instruments oh, that you totally. can bring to that yeah. sport. And, I mean, I guess with my kind of interest in, like, paranormal and parapsychology aspects of horror, then, like, the synthesizer is obviously the go-to because it's kind of like the creepy wavering instrument because yeah. like, there's you know no other I mean? like no wind or brass instrument can yeah. really get that kind of horror that you can get out of the like high-pitched mm. noises that you get you know what I, I want i want like a listicle of all the best theremin implementations oh, wow. in a horror film i feel like That's it all niche. started with the theremin pretty yeah. much. like <laughs> that was like it and then it just kind of morphed into like this whole thing yeah, yeah. it's yeah, wild yeah, yeah. I love a good theremin. <laughs> Have you seen the new Halloween? Actually, no. Unfortunately, I oh, haven't okay. seen the new Halloween. Mm. But I think we're gonna play a slice from. We are gonna play a, a, one of the one of the new ones, which is called The Shape Returns. Which is it's just because like this this one bit this one bit of the track list. It's like all my favorite elements from like the original Halloween score. So like yeah, Carpenter pretty much came back with his son and his nephew to basically just rehash the whole score right. for the new film, and um, yeah, just this high pitched thing that starts and then the theme comes in and um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, cool. I actually just like yeah, I heard it recently and then it just kind of like really inspired me lately. Uh-huh. So this is kind of how this whole yeah Halloween thing kind of kicked back for me this year. Mm, that'll be yeah. good. Yeah, we yeah. can talk about that heaps later on when we wrap up the show. So thank you, Jacob. Um, let's throw to. The Shape Returns by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, Daniel Davies. This is OST. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realised that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. Oh, very spooky stuff there. That was from the most recent Halloween remake uh like the third or fourth one that just came out this year that was by john carpenter his son cody carpenter and um i think it's his nephew daniel davies oh, his oh. nephew as well yeah they're it's all a family the project together. yeah they, they oh, tour together and everything yeah. family oh, affair there you go really you're listening is. to ost original soundtrack with paul aaron and a very special guest jacob here to talk about everything horror it's uh been a week after halloween we're getting into lots of things spooky but we thought we'd uh Start talking about the thing where everyone kind of started getting into horror and mysteries. <laughs> it's Scooby-Doo. We're lightening the mood a yeah. little bit here, um, guys. We're talking about the 2002 live-action remake of Scooby-Doo. There's been nearly countless Scooby-Doo movies that have gone straight to VHS that were all cartoons, but this is the first kind of like theatrical release that they did. It has an all-star cast of Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, Matthew Lillard, Linda Car- Cardellini, Cardellini, Isla Fisher, Rowan Atkinson. And some wrestling guy. The Ray Mysterio is not in this movie. How many times do I have to tell you? It's I just wish like, Ray was in this. I know. What the heck? It's, it's just like a, a guy uh, who's like a juice up guy dressed as a wrestler, and he's like, we were watching it, and he's like, is that Ray Mysterio? I'm like, no, that's he not. Looks nothing Ray like Ray. What's wrong with you? <laughs> he's like, masked wrestler must be Ray Mysterio. Uh, it also features original music by like everyone we love now, which is really yeah. interesting, like Shaggy, Outcast. Solange Knowles? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sugar Ray, Buster Rhymes, <laughs> Kylie Minogue, The Baha Men, and Simple Plan. It's just like... Pure gold. Oh, it's everything. stacked. It's totally stacked. I couldn't believe it when I looked at the soundtrack, how full on it was. We wow. we were blessed. We didn't know how lucky no, we were. Wow. Yeah. In terms of plot, the movie goes as follows. Uh, the mystery gang comprised of the guy from Scream, the guy from She's All That, Buffy, that girl from Freaks and Geeks, and a talking dog must assist Mr. Bean with a mystery and hiding in the shadows is a figure from their past. 
Are you proud of yourself? Like so proud. Pure gold. <laughs> so happy. Beautiful blurb for that film. I yeah. think you have to be from a very kind of specific generation to be in love with this movie, which I guess is our generation. Mm. Um, as kids, this movie was terrific and still holds up. But I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of people that had the original cartoon growing up hated this movie and also that it was critically panned when it came out. Um, so if you go online... I refuse to acknowledge and, that. <laughs> you look at the Metacritic score, it just got like 30s like across the board. It's just yeah, right. not loved. I was one of the haters, actually, up until <gasps> a few years ago. I actually came onto the to the dark side. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, because yeah, I was such a fan. When I was growing up, I was such a fan of the OG Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I like, yeah. loved it. And then this movie came out, and I felt like robbed. I was like, mm-hmm. why would they do this? I think that's common with a lot of live-action remakes, though. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very... Well, that was such a thing of the time, though. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I felt that happened in the early 2000s because we had remakes of Get Smart, mm-hmm. the A-Team, mm. the Pink Panther, the Flintstones, and the Looney Tunes. Yeah, it's totally like, like the wow, 70s yeah. revival. Um, so all of these cartoons and early kind of TV shows from even our parents' childhoods that they would have potentially shown us uh, were being remade. Um, it found so interesting. Mm. Um, I guess every studio... I say every studio... It was really just Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who are every studio? <laughs> um, they were really obsessed with bringing back old classics, and I guess Scooby-Doo was a goldmine of potential, um, especially because CGI was kind of becoming this new thing. <laughs> and I think that's probably what stopped them doing a live-action Scooby-Doo for so long, is that they're like, oh, we don't really want to train a dog to like <laughs> be in this movie. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> we should be just like Lassie or something? Oh, <laughs> oh, no so terrible. I'm glad they waited until CGI was slightly okay to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly adult in its themes oh, and, it and really hindsight, is, isn't it? Yeah. It really um, is. Yeah, watching this is really awkward. And I know for a fact I watched this with my parents. Yeah. And I just, if they were watching it, I just think they would have been bewildered. They would have been like, what am I showing my child right now? Because <laughs> there's drug references. Um, they literally mm. play a song. They allude to the fact that um, Shaggy and Scooby oh, yeah. are partaking. They're hotboxing. Um, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they Gorgeous. play a song that specifically alludes to the fact that they are hotboxing themselves Past in this the movie. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I yeah. mean, this is a kid's movie and that happens. <laughs> and there's also another um, point in the movie, excuse, excuse my language, where Fred <laughs> says, girls like Velma turn him on. And there's another <laughs> point where all the characters, their souls escape from their bodies and they have to kind of return to the right body and Shaggy's body ends up in Daphne's body and he's like cool I can look at myself naked and it's all like really I mean that's kind of childish that one that's a little bit childish but I think there's like little innuendos in there and I think it's mostly the kind of like references to Shaggy and Scooby being like stoners and and, but then like they're just doing a fry up in the in the van as well like it's so innocent (laughs) as well because actually Shaggy's a like strict vegetarian yeah so they're doing mushroom burgers in there which was so (laughs) and then they put like chocolate sauce on it yeah Yeah. they do oh Oh, classic it it is interesting though because the film was originally intended to be kind of like an R-rated romp of like Scooby-Doo in the present. Like, you know, Mm. it's 2002, everything's edgy now, um, this is what we want to do. And instead they were just like, I guess they were told by Warner Brothers, you have to keep it Mm. kid-friendly. Which is interesting because lots of the writing team, uh, the now notorious James Gunn, who has done, he did Guardians of the Galaxy, but he also did um, Super and another horror movie as well that are really adult and really grotesque 
and he was the head writer for this movie. Mm. Um, so I guess he was told multiple times, hey, James, just, you know, scale this back a bit. <laughs> uh, and I guess he he still kind of slipped those things in. Yeah. Um, well, I think even it, so, if we talk about the themes, and it's got these really dark themes in the plot as well, of like you know ritualistic sacrifice and all these things. It's like, is this a children's movie? Yes, but I mean, it's still got this kind of adult feel. I think of the soundtrack as well. Throughout, it's still playful, but it's still got a lot of, um, I guess you know, shaggies in there, which is kind of, I mean, he's kind of like the epitome mm. of songs that are playful and harmless, but have a kind of underlying sexual tone or something. Yeah, to them, I, I guess. think there's, there's yeah. also some rebellion in it, in it as well, and the, a, a big part of the film is. Strangely enough, um, kind of like teenage propaganda and getting teenagers to Definitely. coalesce with society in a Scooby-Doo movie. Amazing theming. Definitely, um, yeah. A lot of the simple plan and sort of those boy band songs that come into it yeah, kind of play into yeah, those yeah. themes as well of kind of indoctrinating teenagers. I can't believe I'm saying this about a Scooby-Doo <laughs> movie. This is really what happens. They brainwash children in this movie. <laughs> This is so this deep. Is the like, deep analysis. Yeah. yeah, I think also because it came out in two thousand two, the soundtrack is filled with songs. I guess trying to find their place in the new millennium. Like no one was really sure what the new cool thing was at that time because in the earlier you know millennium we had the Backstreet Boys and the Macarena being cool, and also like <laughs> Who Let the Dogs Out and Blink One Eighty Two becoming really cool. So no one was like knowing what was going on in terms of popular tunes. It was quite a mess. Number ones would just be completely new every every month. So the soundtrack reflects that. There's a there's a whole kind of mix of stuff which mm. is really interesting. I think a highlight for me, so we've kind of talked about some key moments with the past the dookie moment and I mean <laughs> another one would have to be like when Scooby comes out dressed as, as Shaggy's grandma to get on the aeroplane. Oh, and Lil Romeo's um, brick house is playing in the background as well. I feel like that's a classic moment. It's it's all great. It's all just yeah. memorable just stuff. Beautiful. Like when yeah. when but you I hear the music you kind of imagine it. It's, totally, it's, it's totally. quite yeah. However, I think my favourite moment would have to be um, when the land of a million drums plays, and I think we've established that that's when they're landing on the island I for the first so. time, and it comes up again Every, a few times. Everyone knows it as the good impression. Oh, that's good. Song. Um, and it features Outcast, Killer Mike, and Sleepy Brown as well. There's also a sick music video for this that I'm going to put up on our Facebook. So if you do want to see that, head over to our Facebook at OST Sin. Um, otherwise, I think we might just throw to this track. Yeah, you're going to love it. This is Land of a Million Drums by Outcast, featuring Killer Mike. You are listening to OST Original Soundtrack on Sin Nation. Let's see how the situation should be handled. Remember, today's young people have a language all their own. Sorry, bro. No big whoop, dog. Yo, did you catch that new vid on the box? True that. I'm up to Stizna on all popular trends. Word. That was Land of a Million Drums from the Scooby-Doo OST, one of the best soundtracks of the early 2000s, in my of opinion. modern times. Beautiful. Uh, you are on OST, <laughs> original soundtrack with Aaron Paul and our very special guest, Jacob. We're talking all things spooky, Halloween, scary things. We're going to be jumping from Scooby-Doo to something a little bit more, perhaps, niche and uh, cultured, <laughs> although Scooby-Doo is quite cultured. I think We're going to be jumping cultured. to a movie I've actually never heard about before. No, so. Jacob, you're going to have to lead okay. us on this one. 
because yeah, I'm not as familiar no pressure, with it either. Sorry. Oh wow. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the next the next film is a is a Japanese kind of body horror sci fi film uh, called Tetsuo the the Iron Man, mm. uh, released in 1989, starring Tamaro Taguchi, uh, Shinya Sukamoto, who was also the director of the film, and uh, Kei Fujiwara with um original music by chu ishikawa if i messed up any of those names i'm so sorry i think you did well um i tried and <laughs> yeah. uh yeah so basically it's just kind of this film um about like this 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 guy called um he's called the metal fetishist basically it's this guy that just loves to shove metal into his body in the most just grotesque ways possible and he gets run over by this like kind of business guy and his girlfriend and they um instead of doing anything they just dump his body in the woods Amazing. and then he kind of comes back and, and starts to take over the, the businessman basically oh, okay but yeah. it has a lot of metal in it and um the, the 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 i guess the fashion and the way that they're portrayed and all that kind of stuff and even the music was like a huge inspiration to cyber goths mm. and cyberpunk stuff mm-hmm. um which is yeah really weird but uh yeah this film is kind of um like watching like the most uh, like it's like it's like watching like a harsh noise album so like very <laughs> very intense, very crazy. Like has some wild fast editing, and yeah. then the score just pushes it so much further. It's like the only score I'm like, oh wow, this is like industrial. This is like super intense, but just works completely. Like it doesn't just yeah blast you with noise. Paul and I are big fans of industrial <laughs> like outside of this space. So I mean, that's definitely one that we're probably going to have to put down our list. Yeah. And I mean, late '80s Japanese cinema is just like. Crazy. Oh, just oh, yeah. all of Japanese cinema <laughs> kind of is so just, crazy. Yeah. Um, like if you even look back to the classical period when they had, um, you know, movies like The Throne of Blood. I just watched Throne of Blood. That, like, that's literally really cool. Two nights ago. Um, it's literally just the Japanese being like, we can remake Macbeth by Shakespeare and make it better. And make it better. Kurosawa did um, so well. Yeah, Kurosawa yeah. is yeah. amazing. Smashed He's made. Um, what's uh, I, the name escapes me, but it's like the crime drama where. They look at a murder from four perspectives. I haven't um, seen it. <laughs> that's, well, that, you know, just Japanese cinema yeah. has always been amazing. Um, that name will come to me later. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I know it, but I'm not 100% it's sure. It's amazing. It's amazing. They just, I think just Japanese cinema in lots of ways has really always been innovating. And even when it yeah. comes to horror, I mean, I don't know of many other kind of Japanese horrors. It's been like, well, they, they've had like their fair share in it, I guess, since like the inception of horror. I mean, like even in the 70s and the 60s there were these things called like pink films and stuff like that which were like kind of this semi-pornographic horror trash films Mm. that they just kept churning out like just the rest of the world did Mm. and um yeah i think everyone just got a lot more inventive as the years went on like tetsuo here i mean the set designs and a lot of the art art designs and stuff like that is insane but it's all been done so diy like the director just sourced it himself created a lot of the stuff himself and you can tell like a lot of time was spent on the look of it all because the look's just kind of part of it yeah um but yeah i think it's a big part of the Mm. sound as well in in especially in japanese like popular music in the late 80s as well and i mean you kind of have this like the japanese i mean i'm a big like anime manga fan so then you have like this the sound is infiltrating the west and all the west is now suddenly interested in in japanese music and then that's why (laughs) when you have this kind of like you have all this new wave and industrial music coming from japan that people are really taking notice of so i guess that happens in cinema world as well and i guess this happened like right when the harsh noise stuff in japan was really taking off as well like just this would have happened like probably just before a lot of those like noisy american bands like um like nirvana and sonic youth pretty much 
brought it all up because they went over and toured with all these really kind of strange mm. noise bands in Japan that like like Boredoms, Masana, and mm-hmm. um, Hitchukaiden and stuff like that, even Mertzbau. And yeah, this happened right when that whole thing kind of hit because like um, punk, punk in general happened really late in Japan. Mm. And I think that kind of informed a lot of this stuff that happened throughout the 80s. Because they were, yeah, really behind a lot of the, the rest of the world, but then were just so raw about a lot of the whole, um, like, a lot of the business stuff that had mm. to do with Japan in the 80s and a lot of the consumerism and stuff like that, and even, like, westernizing their culture and that. So, yeah, this just had to do with them kind of backlashing that kind of stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's definitely worth having that conversation between, like, you know, what are the influences back and mm. forth of mm. Eastern and Western culture in terms of horror and well, I mean, sound like you know, there's a lot going on they've always been going backwards and forwards i mean even yeah, yeah. godzilla which was a True. creation of the 50s oh, japanese totally. cinema is yeah. now just completely a western thing yeah they've the hollywood have remade it three times and get it wrong every time <laughs> which is just so interesting you know the, the, the japanese they were making godzilla films for almost a whole set like half right. a century mm. and yes. got it right every single time and then the west were just like yeah we can you know we can give this mm. a go they, they screwed it up mm. completely rip <laughs> but I, I think, think I think with yeah with this soundtrack, I mean being not being too literal here, but literally being metal and yeah. harsh, it literally reflects what it would be like to be the, the character, yeah. like the Iron Man character, and it fits it fits a lot with the editing and even in terms of um, the sound design for this film, it does feature like a lot of like really exaggerated sounds, like they're almost like cartoony and comical, but like. I guess in this, and it's in black and white too, so it is kind of really stark. Mm. And I guess in that kind of framing and with these really grotesque scenes of like metal kind of going into people and stuff, mm. it's just <laughs> making Paul cringe pretty much. <laughs> it, it is very cringy. And I listened to it, like I remember I heard it with headphones so I could hear everything and it was just like, Ooh. from the word go, it was like, like weird mouth sounds and gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Love it. Full Love on. it. Definitely worth a watch. Let's maybe play a track from this film, Jacob, would you mind telling us a little bit about Megatron? Yeah, this is Megatron by uh, Chu Ishikawa, and it is like the, the main kind of theme for, for sure. this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Awesome. You're listening to OST here with Aaron, Paul and Jacob on Sin Nation. Hey, Aaron. Yes, Paul? What does OST stand for? I'm really glad you asked. It stands for Original Soundtrack. Oh, cool. Is there like a podcast for this or something or? There is. You're listening to it right now. I'm what? was Megatron from Chu by Chu Ishiwaka from the soundtrack from Tetsuo the Iron Man. Close enough. I probably butchered that. Ish- Ishikawa. Uh, Ishikawa. Ishikawa. Uh, you got yeah. the, the cut and the work mixed up. Oh, did I? That's right. Oh, I did. You oh, tried. It's a learning I process. Tried. I mean, that you tried. That's amazing, that right? Pay for effort. Yeah, well, absolutely. You are on OST, original soundtrack. <laughs> I pronounced that right. Well done. With well uh, done. Paul Aaron and Jacob, and we're doing all things horror. So we thought we'd kind of dial the time back to kind of one of the most original and the kind of king of horror classics, which is Psycho, um, released in 1960. It stars Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, and Janet Lee. Janet Lee is interesting because she's related to um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah, 
Um, so Didn't they both kind of play scream queens in two of horror's most iconic horror movies, which mm. I think is pretty cool kind of family relation there. <laughs> um, it features original music by Bernard Herrmann, and the plot goes as follows. A woman mysteriously finds herself in a dark and creepy motel after she steals a bunch of cash. In a strange turn of, of events, she is killed off halfway through the movie. So that's it. That's what that's a plot twist. That's, that's, that's <laughs> we can uh, we can leave now. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Pack like up. you know, if you think about how movies were made in the '60s, that just doesn't happen. Like you don't mm. kill off your main character yeah. halfway throughout the movie. Mm. There oh. has to be a happy ending. They have to oh, smile, yeah. and when the credits and the end appears, that's how things have to go. But that's it was, just sorry. It was the first one to show a toilet bowl as well. Yeah, it like, was. Flushing, yeah. 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 This movie broke. Iconic. Broke so much <laughs> ground. So, so many, many rules and broke so much ground. Um, I think this kind of ties into some like past episodes that we've had, Paul, where we've been talking about, you know, particularly prestigious directors or kind of these iconic filmmakers who are put up on a pedestal or these mm. iconic films. And I, I mean, like, I think Hitchcock is one of those filmmakers who, you know, oh, maybe gets more credit than due, but also like, how can you dismiss Psycho as, as a film that's had influence in, in not even necessarily even horror, but just in contemporary cinema? Like, mm. yeah, it's definitely well, a lot to credit there. Even with the advertising, it was, like, always connected to him. Um, he would introduce it. And if you don't know what, like, Alfred yeah. Hitchcock sounds like, he sounds like the... You know those characters <laughs> in movies when, like, the protagonist is, like, a businessman and he, d- he does something wrong and there's always that kind of liberal... Um, old man character goes, hummer, hummer, I can't believe you're doing this. That's exactly what Alfred Hitchcock mm. sounds it like. sounds the way he looks. Google yeah. him and, and you'll know. Mm. He's like, hello, my name is Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. He used to introduce the movie in the trailer just being like, this is a movie I made. This <laughs> is Psycho. You know, please do not leave the cinema when you're watching this movie. Um, so, I mean, even though he has that like auto stamp on it, he yeah. literally like introduces the movie as well. Um, but I think Psycho is really one of those movies I wish I could watch again without knowing what happens. Um, mm. yeah. because the plot is so like obvious, like everyone knows the shower scene, everyone knows, um, Anthony Perkins dresses up as his mom and kills everyone. Mm. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry that I just spoiled a <laughs> Spoiler 70 alerts. year old movie for you. <laughs> um, but it's just something I wish I could watch for the first time and be like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Well, I think context is what would be so interesting about it because, I mean, it's one of the most violent things that people are exposed to at the time on the screen. Like, mm. there's never been anything a la- like that before. Um, you know, had all these other things that are happening with, with censorship rules are kind of, especially kind of, I guess, is, is it kind of coming out of that golden age of, of Hollywood where the censorship yeah, is kind of at its definitely. peak? Yeah, um, so then you've got this kind of thing about... Um, you know, showing men and women sharing beds and toilets, as you mentioned, oh, yeah, Jacob, toilets. and nudity and like all these other things. It, it influenced language in a big way because they mm. couldn't say in movies or in TV, I'm pregnant. They had to create cultural ways to express Allude a to pregnancy. It. Like, yeah. that's so stupid. Yeah. So they had to say, I've got a bun in the oven. And that's like where mm. that came from because they, wow. had, through media, they had to find a way to get around it. Mm. Um, and then that just like somehow made its way into our into our language. But I mean, yeah, like the amount of rules this breaks. There's nudity. There's yeah. a toilet. So I think if you think <laughs> it's, about it's it crazy. on that level, then it's kind of it, it's not just about like a stalker or a murder or mm-hmm. anything. It's really psychological in in its horror, mm. and because it's I think it's got, it's penetrating deeper into what 
these societal norms and kind of turning that on its head as well. It's not even necessarily playing with your psyche and your, your sense of safety, but it's also just like this is your norm and this is what you're used to and we're totally changing yeah, that now. Yeah, yeah. That's what we were talking before about thresholds. This is my favourite kind of horror, um, the psychological and the kind of, um, I guess, um, alluding to society in some way. Like Get Out was my one of my favourite horror movies, mm. uh, like of all time, one of my favourite movies of last year. But the horror of that comes from the problems with society. It's not just there's a boogie monster in your closet. It's like there are literal terrible people in the world and you should be afraid <laughs> that, yeah, that, yeah. that's what i like so much about this movie especially and uh, also how it was reinterpreted into the movie american psycho mm-hmm. um which is psycho but on a more scary level where businessmen are like crazed killers that yeah. just you know on the surface level are these completely normal dudes but once behind closed doors they're completely psychopathic mm. <laughs> horrible people yeah well, I think it's fair then to, like, you know, you, it's fair to credit Hitchcock as kind of a pioneer in that kind of way of thinking, in that way of portrayal of these kind of themes of, well, you know, the real horror it could be sitting right next to you in this cinema. The real horror mm, is, yeah. is yeah. at home, yeah. you know, like those that, sort of ideas. All of his movies are kind of like that. It's like the real horror is a bird. The real horror <laughs> yeah, is yeah, yeah. looking out your window and seeing, like, a husband murder their wife. The real horror is... Um, being shot down by a plane while you're in a cornfield. Oh, my God. Or, you know, <laughs> there's insane. all this horrific stuff that just comes from society, and that's why I love Hitchcock's movies so much. Yeah, I think that kind of concept of the everyday or the norm that, you know, you could be the person who is in this situation uh, really plays into that kind of notion of suspense and these fear tactics that Hitchcock um, implements. And, I mean, that's why they call him the master of suspense and, and tension because all of his... The scores that he uses in in his films really complement that idea of you know this could happen at any second and it could be you like I really think that that's key in I think, a Hitchcock film. Yeah, I think the piece of music we're going to play for you now, which is kind of the title theme for this movie that plays during the opening credits, really kind of um, hammers that home. Um, it's it's got lots of high pitched strings and horrible sounds. It's it's really effective. You'd know it. There's also the. Of course. Yeah, everyone knows that <laughs> we as well. We're going to play that. We're going to play uh, that. We'll play for you the opening credit scene. It's by Bernard Herman. You're listening to OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. the psycho theme by bernard herman you are listening to ost on sin nation original soundtrack here with aaron paul and special guest tonight jacob we are getting ready to wrap up but we have one more segment to leave you with tonight before we head on off we're going to be looking really briefly here at um, american horror story the tv franchise um anthology series yeah who are the directors again what's what's his name brad falco uh, and the guys behind the, the, the lovely yeah. minds behind glee ryan yeah. murphy and brad falchuk that in itself is a horror <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that was the only reason i wanted to talk about this <laughs> um so i guess the original the first season was released in 2011 and it continues to this day um there's eight seasons all up and the most recent season is is currently 
airing here, I think mm. in Australia at yeah. least. No, it's still, yeah, in America as well. Um, so it has a really, obviously, massive cast, but the cast expands over the course of various seasons, playing multiple different characters. Um, but kind of the key characters who pop up all the time are Evan Peters, um, Tasia Faringa. Is that right? Fa- Faringa? Farmiga. Farmiga. My Maybe. bad. Um, Dennis O'Hare, Jessica Lang, um, Sarah Paulson, Lily Ray, Francis Conroy, Emma Roberts, Lady Gaga, yes. and Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. Mm. Kathy yeah. Bates. Kathy Bates Shaw, is Queen. my favourite. Because uh, of Misery, we were talking before oh, about man, um, like psychological movies. Mm. Misery is one of my favourites. She plays an amazing killer Such in that movie. Such a wild ride, Misery. Yeah. Mm. Beautifully <laughs> shot as well. Just <laughs> yeah. the snow scenes. It's really yeah. Anyway, real dense. Yeah. She's, she's incredible she's like in awesome. every character incantation that she's in in she's, American Horror Story. Yeah. Like She's very good. Um, it features original music. I guess the theme music is composed by Cesar Davila Izari. Izari? Ooh, uh, some tricky names in here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm butchering these. And, um, and Charlie Closer as well. They make the theme music, which we will get into in a moment. And um, other composers throughout include James S. Levine and Mac Quayle. And um, the plot, I don't think we need to get into that. One really. thing. Yeah. Um, we were talking about Saw before. Charlie Closer composed the Saw theme. Oh no way! Yeah, there's the connections. Wow, I knew there was the a whole, connection somewhere. The family of horror we've we've got today. I we told have you. All connected. Full I told you. Wait, Full circle. there was a reason we were doing this. I told <laughs> you that. Um, so I guess the plot varies. If you're not familiar with American Horror Story, the plot varies across each season, but it is kind of featured in this. Um, had his anthology style, so I guess there's a different plot or series of events contained within each season. Yeah, However, the characters are you know they're never interlinked. Well, that's the thing. Um, with the most recent season, there's a lot of crossover. And it was kind of teased that there'd be crossover from one or two seasons. Oh, cool. It features crossover from every fucking season. Finally, like, finally. It's too much. <laughs> like, we, we, Because it's really interesting the way I think that genre and horror conventions are explored in American Horror Story. And it kind of works to incorporate these various aspects. And there's usually like maybe one or two key motifs throughout so maybe like murder house was well ghosts and then yeah, murder the, the genre mm. that the season is going to take is literally in the title yeah usually like murder yeah. house is a not a parody but it's kind of like a version of the murder but, but house then, thing oh absolutely but then and, there's always kind of this secondary thing so yeah. like coven i guess was witches and witchcraft but the secondary mm, I don't know. What is the secondary one in that? Race. Yeah. It's kind of like Well, race I guess it's not like... Yeah, it's more psychological, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it really has a discussion about racism and um, privilege. But I guess then another example, like Asylum, the second season, is about, like, I guess, insanity. Um, and then the underlying... The end is just, like, to do with aliens, and it's just so... It doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but the most recent season kind of, like, takes from all of these and tries mm, to guess, convey them all. I guess the main the main conventions are kind of this uh, this theme of apocalypse, the um, you know, with nuclear war and kind of alluding to that with Trump. Um, and then <laughs> very subtly yeah, alluding to very Trump. Very subtly am I that. <laughs> um, but then this others this other underlying running motif throughout of, of Satanism. Um, hmm. so it's very intense and then there's obviously going backwards to other seasons. That being said, like thematically might not be I mean if we're being critical and doing a bit of you know criticism critique here thematically not consistent um to follow like in in its scenes and in its storylines and plots and narrative but I think its sound is pretty 
pretty key to how it all comes together. Yeah, uh, I used to find the opening music quite scary when I was yeah. watching it for the first time, and the the soundtrack always plays into everything perfectly in the, in the way that there will always be like a like a orchestra hit or a crescendo whenever it goes to ad break and it fades to black. Mm-hmm. Or um, there's lots of musical motifs that I feel like each season has. Coven has that um, kind of, there's kind of like a girl's voice that sings throughout um, is, the whole yeah. show that kind of, it kind of sets a theme of kind of eeriness and um, mm. fear that goes on through that season. Mm. And I mean, I think I think the theme song in itself is just an interesting discussion because like the video that goes with it, um, <laughs> you know, is supposed to be just kind of like be bits and pieces that allude to the themes yeah. of the season that's coming, but the music is quite, there's not much difference th- across the, the seasons. Music, like, especially that first theme kind of feels like hitting a brick wall in a yeah. way. It like, it gets like to a point where it's like, it feels like stillness, yeah. but it's just like so hard hitting. Yeah. 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 It's massive. And I mean, it's kind of funny as well. I think yeah. it's a bit jarring. Like we talked about that kind of the balance between definitely what's overbearing and what's um, subtle enough that well, it feels creepy. Those sounds don't really come back in, I guess, even mm. like during the show, which is like part of what kind of makes it so, uh, I guess iconic yeah. out of the whole show is that, like you just get like this one big kind of heavy hitting track at the start and the rest just kind of goes with the period. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of yeah. set in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, you have maybe a few jingles here and there and then the, mm. the score throughout, but it's never, I guess, too much. I think you, you might get a weird um, drone or a cut sound that is paired with a Dutch angle. Like, that's kind of the, the thematic <laughs> running of, of this American Horror Story. This TV seri- series will make you throw up. I, have sh- <laughs> I promise you, if you watch Coven, you will be throwing up. It's the same across all of them, because they're all just, like, throwing they you they around. They just, really gross. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just hired a director of photography that just, like, is Loves learning how to angle. hold a camera. <laughs> so he's, like, dropping it. It looks like he's dropping it and trying to, like, hold a camera upright, but he's actually flipping it upside down. It's hilarious. Oh, wild. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you... you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just throwing it out there. Uh, so I guess you have that, and then you've also got, like you said, Jacob, it's kind of set in w- whatever time period it's based mm. in. Um, and you have a lot of, I guess, appealing to the contemporary audience. I think American Horror Story, like, is due credit for bringing horror back into onto TV screens and making Definitely. young people interested in that yeah Yeah, so i think they kind of use music like modern music to appeal to that and i mean my favorite season would have to be um the fifth one which is hotel and that's purely based on the sound oh wow like it's got great music that that kind of frames this new romantic vibe about it and it's got you know georgia moroto new order the cure depeche mode um frankie knuckles jesus the jesus and mary chain like so many (laughs) awesome bands right like and then just um really like even the Jesus Mary Jane really laying out the landscape of that world that Mm -hmm. it creates so I think like credit due to the world building of of American Horror Story um yeah that's all I really have to say about that one before we get into our final song which I think if you guys are American Horror Story fans if you're listening you're gonna love it (laughs) we should talk about Jacob's Soundtrack. Absolutely, we oh, should. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you're doing on Thursday. Cool, yeah. So this Thursday, the 8th of November, I'm going to be performing uh, like with the Town Hall organ, pretty much. The Grand Town Hall organ, as it's, as it's known. Um, yeah, so basically I'm, I'm doing a live score to this new kind of film I made, like about witches and like about kind of... I wouldn't call it like experimental per se, but it's not like a regular kind of film. It's really kind of under the surface, metaphor, symbolism, mm-hmm. you know that jazz um but yeah just really about like kind of the persecution of witches and i guess the image of of 
the witch and how that's been changed and morphed throughout time mainly focusing on like how film has done that and i guess how it's affected us as a whole and like even how we view women how we view other people and yeah also really commenting on how i guess those parallels were really seen during persecution times like kind of innocent people were killed for nothing basically mm. Mm. and it was meant to be on halloween which is why i chose this but then they had yeah. to push it back like oh, okay. another week it made more sense on halloween yeah. so i was like what could i do <laughs> um yeah so that's kind of the the basis of of it all so i'll be playing with the organ and it's meant to be kind of like a digital media kind of night so we're all i think every one of us are going to be controlling the organ through midi and stuff like that and yeah playing live kind of alongside it awesome. so if people yeah. on podcast are listening Will there be any way to watch this like later? Um, Will there be recordings? I'm definitely or? thinking of like releasing the film. I I don't know if they're actually going to be able to to film on the night. Sure. I'm going to try and get some videos, but um, yeah, try to get something organized, but uh, didn't happen. Well, yeah, we'll uh, keep out keep looking on our Facebook page, just uh, at OST Sin, and maybe we'll post something if. Yeah, Jacob we'll keep sharing it, and then when, if you get that movie out, you know, let us know, and then we can yeah. get it up for for our lovely listeners who who may be interested. Awesome. Um, Awesome. Thanks for joining us tonight, Jacob. It's been That's real fun. That's okay. Thanks for having me. It's been a lovely time. It's, it's been, been a great time. Um, how wholesome night. for spooky <laughs> yeah, stuff. For yeah. spooky Halloween. Halloween is over. You guys can stop worrying. It's not going to be spooky anymore. We're going to get into a nice, happy song. Uh, but thank you so much for listening to OST with us. Um, it's been lovely sharing the spooky night with you, even though it's November and it's not spooky anymore. We spooky all the time. Spooky every time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play you the name game. From season two of American Horror Story Asylum, it's sung by Jessica Lange, who is kind of like the, I think the common thread throughout every single she's season. She's in yeah. most of she's them. Peak, Except Hotel, maybe. I don't think she's story. in Hotel. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of like the iconic character that we all know. You all know this song as well. So we're going to play <laughs> you the name game from American Horror Story. You've been listening to OST on Sin Nation. Thanks for listening, y'all. Surprise, bitch. I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. <laughs> Want more from OST? Check us out on Facebook at OST Original Soundtrack.